Hello everyone and welcome back to the One Touch podcast. This is your host Vuya as always and I'm glad you've decided to tune in once again this week. Please be sure to follow, like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to keep up with all our updates and episodes as we continue the journey of dissecting the beautiful game. Firstly, I'd like to thank everyone who's gotten the chance to listen to the interview with Terry Nickel a couple weeks back and every other episode we've dropped so far. The reaction and support has been tremendous and we look forward to bringing you even more quality content and high-profile guests. And speaking of high-profile guests, today I'm joined by a man nothing short of that in the form of Alan Koch. Sawona Malume, welcome to the One Touch Podcast. Sawona <laughs> Puerto, good to be here. Absolutely, absolutely great to have you. Uh, so how, how have you been so far? You been good? Yeah, everything's been good. Just yeah. uh, settled in, in Colorado and... Uh, continuing the journey right absolutely absolutely and uh, are you enjoying life there so far yeah it is it's uh, it's a little chilly today but uh, they, they keep telling us the weather goes up and down so it's cold today hopefully we warm tomorrow right perfect perfect and uh what what number city is this you've lived in now because um, i know i know you're a well-traveled man yeah yeah um i know i've lived in six countries yeah. For, for this game I don't know how many cities so in the yeah. US I it, yeah I have no I have no idea it would take a um, I'm decent at maths but it would take me a long time to add them all up so right right so yeah for those who don't know Alan I'll kind of give you a short intro and then the rest of them will kind of delve into himself after all that's why we have the man right here with us alright so um, without further delay let's get straight into a business and uh, here we go So, born in Durban, South Africa in the 1970s, um, how, how would you describe that experience yourself? Um, well, I don't really remember too much about being born, yeah, to be yeah. honest. But, you know what, South Africa is such a beautiful country and it's, mm-hmm. evo- it's evolved for the most part in a positive way. I, I was born during apartheid right, um, right. and I think everybody, unfortunately, lived a very segregated life uh, at those times. Um, and, and thankfully, democracy has prevailed in the country. Um, right. But I was fortunate to to grow up personally in a middle class family, a nice supportive family um, in Durban, uh, which is uh, it's a beach city. Uh, right. So, so I was able to enjoy some great weather and get mm-hmm. to the beach, get to the beach a lot, which was nice. All right, lovely. So, um, I mean, growing up, so so to say, I'd say you probably grew up more in the eighties, and uh, during that time. What, would you would you really say soccer in the area and in South Africa as a whole was was like popular for like an Afrikaner boy, so to say? Um, no, not not a, not at all. Right? Yeah, it's at it, it, those in those days, sports was really divided, unfortunately, on racial lines. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think people, uh, for the most part, white people in South Africa played rugby and cricket. And cricket, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and for the most part, it's generalization, but black people played soccer. Um, right, right. And my dad had played soccer, and I grew up playing soccer, and I played soccer with everybody who was willing to come kick a soccer ball. So mm-hmm. we, we, yeah, played played everywhere, played formally, but then informally, I'd play in the parks with people from all different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So you'd say your dad kind of had an influence in you becoming, you know, a soccer player, so to say. Yeah, huge influence. Yeah. Um, I think between. I grew up the whole time in Durban other than two years between when I was four and six years old. And that's when I really had my first memories in Cape Town. And my dad right. played, my dad played in a semi-professional 
uh, league day. And those are the first memories where I just remember being captivated watching him play and then, then obviously started kicking the ball myself. Right, right. And as far as South African influence, as in the big, the big players of the bigger clubs, who do you say you remember playing? Do you remember like the Ivan Kozas, the John Mosonos back in the day and stuff? Hey, come on, I'm not that old, man. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I remember Tabojo Malloy, yeah. uh, um, Ace Kuze, Shane mm-hmm. McGregor, uh, Gavin Lane. Right. Um, those were more the guys that I, I remembered watching a, a lot. And that was probably more when I was a teenager watching mm-hmm. watching those guys play. Um, but But yeah, it's... So many guys. That's I remember watching it, but I feel like the game then, and maybe it's because I was young. It truly was a beautiful game. I'm just watching right. these, watching these guys go out and express themselves, and just even watching like Dr. Kamalo play and, exactly, and seeing exactly. and, and seeing some of the special things those guys could do with the ball. Right. So in 1992, you had the pleasure of captaining the South African schoolboys team. How, how would you describe that experience? Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's yeah. uh, to do anything for your for your country, mm-hmm. and I think any I think anybody who's done it for any country that they they come from, it's it's an amazing honor to to have that experience. Um, and that was such a special time then in in the evolution of South Africa. Um, but it was an amazing uh, way for me just to finish off high school uh, and then progress from there. But yeah, it was a very special experience. Right, and in terms of progressing, you then moved to Germany in 95, playing in the German Oberliga. How, how, was, how was that experience back in the day then? What, yeah. what, what, level, what level league is the, is the Oberliga, by the way? Sorry. So, so it's changed. In Germany, they, the names have changed. Now, mm. now it goes first Bundesliga, second, mm, second third, and right. then it goes Regionalliga. But the Oberliga, when I was there, was the fourth. So got it's, you, got you. it's the equivalent of the Regionalliga now. Right. Uh, I went first to... Two different second Bundesliga teams, to be quite honest. I, I wasn't close to being able to play at that level. And mm-hmm. I really found my niche playing in the fourth level of, of German football in those days. Right. So at 20, how did you, would you say you struggled to kind of adapt to life living by, I don't know if you lived by yourself back yeah. then, when you had, exactly when you had moved. At 20, you're in a new environment, you're in a new country, and you still have this dream of making it as a footballer. It was very, it was very, very difficult. Yeah, it, it's. I didn't speak any German when I got right. there. Uh, thank, thankfully, because I speak Afrikaans. Afrikaans, right? That that helped a little bit in translating words. Um, but no, it was it was very, very difficult. And I think anybody who's moved away and gone to a different country, different culture, and uh, you've had to either be by yourself or have, or had to do both, learn another language. It's those are tough, tough challenges to particularly do when you're you're young, but. Uh, it's what I wanted to do. I wanted to follow the dream and been fortunate to play professionally. And mm-hmm. uh, those are those are memories I look back on very, very fondly. Right. So unfortunately, moving on a couple of years, in 2001, you had to kind of be forced into an early retirement due to, you know, a heart condition. And, you know, you're still young, you know, at uh, you're, that's about 25, I'd say. Yeah, it was 25. Yeah. yeah, it was 25. 25 fairly young about to reach the peak of your career and then all of a sudden you you know you kind of have this this you know you're looking forward to the peak as i said and then you kind of have this bad news that you know you can't really play on no more um, it, was, it, it was tough it's uh, right. i think anybody i've had i've played i've had players i've coached now in the professional ranks that when they've retired 
uh, through their own choice, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. But right. I, th I think when you have to retire through things that are outside of your control, it's very, very difficult. And mm -hmm. I was playing in the League of Ireland. Uh, it's not the greatest professional level, but I was still playing professionally. And, right. For Limerick? Yeah. And right. play, playing for Limerick and trying to trying to continue the journey and go as far as I could. Um, but just got to a stage where you, you've got to put your health first, obviously, and had to make a decision to, to stop playing. But thankfully, uh, closing that that chapter really allowed me to take a skip first. I tried to get into business for six months and it mm -hmm. didn't, didn't really work for me. And thankfully, I got into coaching and I've been coaching ever since. Right. Would you kind of view that as a blessing in disguise? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think things happen for reasons in life. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And I, absolutely. And, I, and I think that was, uh, I can look back at now as one of the turning points in, in my life where right. I was, I was forced to stop playing, but then I was provided the opportunity to actually look at what did I want to do and how was I going to do it? And I just couldn't see myself doing anything but being in the game. Right. Exactly. So then in 2003, you had that opportunity, you, as you said, to kind of like get into coaching and um, move to the U.S. And um, how how would you say? Did you would you before even you retired? Did you already know you're going to go into coaching after you had you had played and finished your career? I had no idea. No I idea. I, yeah, I never, <laughs> I, I never, I never thought of coaching. What I, what right. I, what I did do is when I was playing in South Africa in the South African First Division, I tore my ACL and I was really young. I was 18 years old, mm -hmm. and I had no idea what to do other than I was going to be out for a year. So, I was encouraged to go take some coaching courses, and I did them. And I was 18 years old, but I mm -hmm. never, I didn't do them because I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to do them because. You study things like nutrition. You study things like how do you play the game. And I thought I was doing because they were things that could help me get back and become a better player. But that was my real first taste in, in coaching. And then I, I started coaching. I can tell you've got all the stuff off Wikipedia because uh, Wikipedia skips over two years of my life. Uh, there was right. I started coaching in 2001. Um, mm -hmm. That was my first job. And then my second job was in 2003. And that was my first my first job in the U.S. was in 2003 in Texas at Midwestern State in NCAA right. Division Two, and um, yeah, I, I look back at every memory very, very fondly. I've learned, right. I've learned different things in each each place that I've been. Mm -hmm. And I've also noticed that you have a love for scouting too. Yeah, I do. You know what? It's uh, I'm a builder. I love to build teams. I, right. I love to, I love to scout players. I've, I've scouted for the MLS draft. I've scouted for my own USL teams. I've, I've scouted for college teams. Mm -hmm. uh, I just, I, I love watching players and seeing what potential they have, but also how do you go put them within the team that you're trying to put on the field? Um, right. And it's, it's fun. It's because you got to go through thousands and thousands of players to find the one that you really want that fits your style of play. You, you, right, your, exactly. exactly. Your, That's your, always your, important. Yeah, your budget, everything. There's so many different variables that go into it. Um, right. But yeah, because I mean, I, I recently got into coaching myself, actually. Good, so I'm, I'm awesome. Kinda, <laughs> I'm kind of adjusting to to that phase of being of coming from being a player to becoming a coach, and you know, you have to be really patient when it comes to that part of it. Yeah, you really have to, particularly when you're dealing with younger players. Mm -hmm, you have to. Mm -hmm. You you have to. Uh, sometimes just be a little more patient. It takes time and different players learn things in different ways. Um, but it's enjoyable coaching this game at every level, whether you're coaching right. young, young guys, older guys. Uh, you can always make a difference with every single player, no matter where you work with them and whatever environment it's in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you ended up coaching three colleges in the U.S., if I'm not, if I'm not wrong. 
yeah. coaching. He started off at Midwestern Uni, went to Baker University, and then finally went to Simon Fraser University. Yeah. How this is very this is a very like sensitive issue on on my part. How would you say how how good is the do you, are you a fan of the college structure in the US when it comes to just to sports mainly or in fact specifically soccer? That might be a loaded question, I think, but right. uh, <laughs> um, I'll shoot from the hip. I have a lot of appreciation for the college game. I, I mm-hmm. played played college, and that's what allowed me to go back and eventually become the head coach at Simon Fraser, where where I played. Um, the structure is definitely not perfect from mm-hmm. a de- from a developmental perspective because the seasons are so short. Um, but from a coaching perspective, I've found I've had to do this in every place I've coached, no matter where it is and at what level. If you can be creative, then it allows you to create developmental pathways for your players. Um, right. So, yeah, I, I would love to see the college soccer season shorter. Uh, I mean, longer, sorry. But, mm-hmm. because, but because it is so short, uh, it forces the players and the coaches to be creative as to how do they find the right environments to develop. Right. And uh, obviously, you have experience having coached in the U.S. and in Canada as well with the white caps initially. I think you coached the the Canadian team at the at the Maccabi Maccabi games in uh, was it uh, Israel? Yes, yeah, it was. Right, I, think that, right. I, th- I think that was in twenty thirteen. Yeah, yeah. twenty thirteen. And I think that still to this day, don't quote me if I'm wrong, but I think it's, <laughs> it, I, I think it's still to this day the only time Canada has won a medal uh, in football right, right. In, in the Open tournament mm-hmm. at the Maccabi games. That's nice. That's nice. And you know, as far as the U.S. game, moving on to national national team level with the, with the U.S. team and the, and the Canadian team, what, what kind of steps do you think they need to take towards getting to the next level? Because for me personally, I've, I've seen enough talent in, in the U.S. and in Canada for, for us to be competing at, at the highest level. But what do you, yeah. what do you think is lacking in, in, at, at, that, at that level? Well, I think the Canadian team's kind of heading forward in a positive way at the moment. Obviously, mm-hmm. they they lost to the U.S. a week or two weeks ago, but the right. the young group of players that are coming through, and a few of them I've coached, are are fantastic young talents. So like Alfonso, right. Alfonso's Davis, uh, obviously, yeah, he's one of a one, one of a kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's one of a yeah. he's one of a kind. So when you have him in your national team, you need to use him and and maximize his abilities. So I think from a Canadian perspective, I think the team is coming along. I think the new Canadian Premier League might help them develop younger players that might be able to help that team in the future too. Mm-hmm. I think for the U.S., uh, Greg uh, is obviously a friend of mine. I've coached against him. He, he actually invited me in to spend a few days and watch them uh, this summertime, which I greatly appreciated. And Greg's a fantastic coach. He's got some amazing ideas um, and he had huge success at Columbus and I think if he's given time, uh, he'll eventually have success with the U.S. national team. And it just takes right. it, it takes time to to get the players to play the way that you want to play. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's and, key. That's key. That's key. Yeah, and figure figure out the system that allows you then to maximize things the best way for the players you have to. Um, so it's hard. It's very difficult to find the right balance, but that's the beauty of the job. Right, and as far as Alfonso, as you said, you, you got the chance to to coach him, and you pretty much gave him his debut in twenty sixteen, I think. Yeah, I and, think it, yeah, I think it was twenty sixteen. It was with Whitecaps yeah. too. He was fifteen years old. I gave him his professional right. debut. He was fifteen, and uh, we gave a couple other young guys that were fifteen and sixteen year old his debuts. Then mm-hmm. too, then too, but Alfonso is the one that's obviously made the the quickest progression in his career. Right, how how far do you think he can go in his career? Honestly, all the way. 
Although the, guy, the guy's unbelievable. Yeah. He's unbelievable. Nothing, Hot. nothing phases him. I think when I, I, I can remember putting him on for his debut, and I think I was more scared than he was. <laughs> the, he, 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 right. does, he does not get phased by anything. He's a, a happy-go-lucky guy who uh, he loves to play the game, and uh, he's a very, very good, humble person who I'm, I'm ecstatic for him the success that he's been having. All right, that's beautiful. That's beautiful to you, honestly. And then, so you coached, you basically were, you started at the Whitecaps as, was it a scouting, head of scouting there? Yeah, I was, I scouted for them. I was responsible for the MLS draft. Uh, I think they liked a little bit what I did there. And thankfully, they included me then in the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when they opened up the USL uh, franchise, they, they asked me to be the head coach of the USL team. And uh, I jumped at it. And we were very, very young uh, to start off with. Uh, our first year, I think we struggled quite a lot because we were playing so many young guys. And mm-hmm. then the guys got minutes under their belts. They actually started to understand what professional the professional game was like. Uh, and in the second year of the franchise, we, we took a very similar group of players all the way to the Western Conference final. Um, right. So I think, I think we were the youngest group uh, in the Western, Western Conference at that time. Uh, so to do mm-hmm. it with such a young group was, was very, very special. Right. So you kind of have this knack of joining... And starting, like, you like to create, as you said, you like to build. And then, yeah. fortunately, you got the chance to join FC Cincinnati in, in 2016. Yeah, you, I, I, could, I could see from the outside, uh, that was the end of their first year. You could see mm-hmm. that they came to the USL, I think the team finished third or fourth in the conference that year. And uh, you could see uh, the fans that were starting to, to get behind the team. And you could tell it was something special. And then... Uh, got invited out and I, I met with Jeff and I met with Carl and mm-hmm. saw everything that the club was doing uh, and I knew I wanted to be part of it. Right. Uh, you could see the club was going to grow and whatever role presented itself, I was willing to embrace. And initially I was there as a scout and assistant mm-hmm. coach and I think wearing every every hat under the rainbow and I was willing to do it. Um, and then in preseason of 2017, um, the club made a coaching change and uh, when things like that happen, sometimes you just have to jump in and seize the moment. And right, and, see- and, and you did yeah. well. You did well seizing the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We we went. What did we do? We got to semi final, the Open Cup that year. And yeah, I remember the- I was one of the games. I was one of the games. I think it's against Chicago Fire at home. Yeah, that was a pretty fun, pretty fun insane, game. Insane, insane atmosphere that game. Insane. I think the hardest thing. Uh, going through those experiences, I remember days after all those games, mm-hmm. meeting people around Cincinnati that were coming up and were just saying thank you and congrats and everything was awesome. And to be honest, at the time, you, you didn't really appreciate it just having, right. been in, having been in it because you'd win the game and you'd stop preparing for the next one. Right. Um, did, did you kind of see the club growing so fast as, as, it, has, as it has in the past couple couple years, so to say? A hundred percent. That's we were out in the community almost every day, doing events and promoting the club, uh, and then obviously working with the team to to be as successful as we could. And we also knew that that cap cup run. Once we started it, we mm-hmm. really knew we really knew we could use that as a catalyst to help and support the MLS push. Which I think, obviously, at the end of the day, by by going as far as we did and having the crowds that we did and getting the exposure we did nationwide and even internationally, I think that was a big part of helping get the club into MLS. Right, because obviously I I met you in twenty I think twenty sixteen in August on my way home. You guys, yeah. you guys had just come from I think Miami. 
Yeah, I think uh, you know what I think Orlando, it was 20, it, it was 2017. 2017. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. 20 yeah, it was 20, 2017, so. Right. Yeah, I still I still remember that day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty nice, pretty nice honestly. And yeah. then onto your 2018 season where that's when you really pretty much set set your foot down in the league and kind of, you know, let the teams around you know what was going on. You guys really had had a plan and you know, you really wanted to go forward. And that season you went, I think, 23-3-8. and eight. Yeah, I can't remember the exact right. rec- I can't remember the exact record, but I know we, we, we had the longest, and I think we still have the longest unbeaten, unbeaten record. Unbeaten run, yeah. Yeah, in, 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 the, in the league. And, uh, 23 yeah. wins, 77 points, 12 home wins, and 30 home points. Yeah. That, that's, that's insane numbers, honestly. Yeah, it was awesome. It was, it was fun. You could... Obviously, there was a lot of preparation that went into that. Right. I think I think the the work that a few people did between twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen to to get the team in place uh, mm-hmm. was a, is a huge part of setting ourselves up for success. And then we just had to maximize the players that we had, and uh, obviously won the regular season, uh, which I think is a purist. I think the purists out there will tell you that's the most important trophy to win, um, mm-hmm. and it was special to win our club's first real trophy. Um, right, and then because uh, people, for yeah. me, people, I don't think people really appreciate how how tough that the USL is. It's it's pretty gruesome, and because I feel like the the USL could be compared to, in in a way, the English Championship, and in, in, in the sense that like you're playing so many games, always traveling, you know, it's it's every almost every three four days you have a game, always shuffling the squad. There's so much that goes into it, yeah. It's it's a very very difficult league. It's a beautiful league to be to be honest. It's a it's a great league that just continues to grow. Uh, the travel is not easy. If you compare mm-hmm. U- USL travel to MLS travel, it's night and day uh, in terms of the level of the, the flights that you would get, the buses mm-hmm. and the hotels and all that. So the USL is an absolute grind. Which the championship in in England is exactly the same. Uh, right. So yeah, there was a. That was a very, very special season and uh, I think a season that uh, myself and I know a lot of people will, will not forget uh, for a long, long time. Right. And then just the next season, you were starting to prepare for the big jump into the MLS, yeah? And I remember you were traveling all over the world, scouting players, and you, you managed to get, to get some great players coming too with, uh, for example, Batoni coming from, I think, Young Boys in Switzerland. Yeah, I went. I went over and, and met Leo, and right. um, initially I made the connection with the agent to to connect him with the club. And mm-hmm. uh, no, I think we found some some good players. I think the biggest challenge, and a lot of people have spoken about it, was just time uh, right. to to get ready to go into the MLS with such a short window was was mm-hmm. very was very very difficult for everybody involved. And pretty much with the new with the new look team, completely. You know what I mean? And as you said you, yourself a couple of times. Creating that culture, creating that culture in a club, it needs it needs some sort of time. You just can't, you know, rush it into, into, into into working out, so to say. Yeah, it takes time, and it's uh, I'm going through that now in Colorado Springs. It's uh, right. just having to put a group together, uh, mm-hmm. and and we're making a lot of changes here. Um, it takes time to put a system in place, make sure everybody understands exactly what's expected of them, and. And move forward from that, and uh, I, I've learned a lot from that experience. I think everybody went through it. Hopefully, has learned a lot from it, and mm-hmm. um, I think that's something I can use now in my current position here in Colorado to hopefully help us have success here. 
Right, perfect. And um, this might be a rather sensitive question, but how do you think the MLS as a whole and as an organization can kind of help expansion clubs adapt to the league as fast as possible? And how can clubs help themselves that like they're set up for it and really don't, you know, tend to struggle in their first year as, as, as one of the MLS teams? I'm the wrong person to ask that question yeah. too. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. You, you know what? Expansion's not easy for for anybody because you're you're having to put things in place, and obviously, time time is of the essence. Um, right. But, but I'm not I'm not sure. I'm just, I'm curious to see how things unfold for for Nashville and and obviously Miami this year. Um, right. I, I think everybody in Cincinnati will be particularly interested to see how things unfold for those two franchises. Mm-hmm. And. Moving on to your current club being Colorado Springs, how far, how far has the club come since since you've since you've been there? As in, in terms of obviously the club started in twenty thirteen, so it's been going on for about six years now. And what kind of direction do you see the club heading into? Because obviously you wouldn't have joined the club if you didn't see it growing in any way or form. Yeah. So exactly, and you know, as you said, you're a builder trying to build your own team, and hopefully, you know. You have you have the time to really you know show what you, what you have, and um, what what plans for the future do you have for the club? Yeah, short term, short term, and long term, so to say. It's really exciting. As I was literally sitting down today with our owner, looking at diagrams of our our stadium that we're building, and mm-hmm. the stadiums can be ready in a year's time. So that's not that far away. Um, so that's definitely something that's very exciting for myself and everybody involved with the club. Um, but I think in the short term is just turn things around. The club started in the USL quite well in the first two years, made the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And then the last few years, they've missed the playoffs. And this year finished rock bottom of the Western Conference. Right. So, and, so, and that's football for you, yeah? Yeah. And we, so we have to make changes. We, we're changing things structure-wise a little bit. So we've obviously are working through recruitment now and who we're going to retain and who we're going to release. Uh, but mm. our, our team and our staff will look very, very different come the start next year. And, and it has to. You know, when you finish at the bottom, you need to make some changes to, to obviously move forward. And I feel very, very confident that next year we'll come up and be a, a very, very different team and hopefully have some success. And we're calling next year the transition year because it's really the, the step between now and the new stadium that will be ready in 2021. But we, we certainly want to have success in that year too. Right, perfect. And I mean, if you're ever looking for a cheap midfielder to get into your team, you can always. I'm just a phone call away. <laughs> hey, you said you're, you said you're starting the coach now, eh? So let's let, let's focus. Right, right, right. And uh, no, that's sweet though. And I wish you the best of luck at the Springs. Yeah. No, I and appreciate it. On to a more lighter note. So I've I think I've noticed that you're an Arsenal fan. Yeah. I am an Arsenal fan. Arsenal yes. fan. So in terms of Arsenal Football Club. Yeah, where do we want to go with this one? Hey, I've, been, I've been an Arsenal fan since 1984. So you've uh, seen the best uh, side of the club. Oh, basically. my God. I even made my, my wife watch a movie the other day called, <laughs> called, called eight, it's called eight, 89. I, I'd recommend any Arsenal fan that's suffering right now to go watch it because that's when uh, Arsenal scored. Uh, literally in the 92nd or 93rd minute, Michael Thomas scored it at Liverpool and they won the league. Um, but... Yeah, we've had some good moments, but it's it's pretty tough right now. It's yeah. uh, it's to be honest, I because I have to focus so much on my own job, I, I don't get to right, watch, right, I don't want exactly. I don't watch them as much as I would like to. Uh, but when I do watch them, unfortunately, I'm normally disappointed. Right. What do you? I don't know if you can talk about this. What do you think the problem with the club is right now? Ooh, 
Ah, it's interesting. Hey, clubs yeah. go clubs go through cycles, and I remember watching Arsenal when George Graham managed them and they won the league. I remember watching when Arsene Wenger won it, and uh, I also remember watching when Arsene Wenger had some tough, tough moments too. And I think Unai is having some tough moments now, and I hope for his sake he's given the time to to turn things around because he's proven in other places he's a successful coach. Um, but it's it just seems like they need to make some changes. It doesn't seem to be enough hunger, enough passion, and those are things you would assume are given uh, at the professional game. But mm-hmm. but but sometimes players get stale. They right. They need a change, and they need to go to a new environment to hopefully take their game to the next level. Mm-hmm. And just going across city to to Spurs, what are your thoughts on Mourinho joining Spurs? Real quick. Hey, I tweeted about it the other day. I was up at <laughs> I, I think it was up at five in the morning. The other day. Yeah. I, I woke up early. I wanted to watch Mourinho's first game. And yeah. you, you know what? He's an entertainer. He uh-huh. he, he really is. Uh, it definitely is great to have him back in the game. Yeah, yeah it is. It's it's awesome. It's not that I like Spurs, but now it makes me want to watch Spurs because of him. And um, he saw a very very positive response for his team until they went back to some of their old ways. But obviously, good for him that they got the three points. But uh, I'll never I'll never say much more positive than that about Spurs. That I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear that's understandable. That's understandable. And we're gonna finish off with the quick, quick Q and A. So, who do you think is gonna win the league? The Premier, the Premier League. league. Yeah, Premier yeah, League. The Premier league. Mm-hmm. You know what? I hope for Liverpool fans uh, that they finally uh, break the curse. Um, as somebody who's who's managed some teams that are more uh, that have to be more resourceful at certain times and mm-hmm. and, and squeak things out, like I had to do with the Whitecaps too, and like I'll have to do here in Colorado Springs. I, I hope for Leicester that they can do it, and uh, and then I like Pep, Pep too at the same time. So I, I'm going to go with Klopp and Liverpool. That's what I'm going to go with. How's that sound? I'm a United fan, so obviously I'm not happy with that one. But you know, I think I think you're pretty much right on that one. Unfortunately, yeah. well, we'll it see is what, what it is at this yeah. point. Yeah, we'll see what unfolds. Right, and as far as the Champions League goes, who do you see taking it this year? Ooh, interesting. Yeah, to be honest, that's an open one. Uh, I don't know. I didn't even see any of the games yesterday or today, unfortunately. So yeah. um... I need. I just need one team, one name. One, oh, name. You, uh, one name Messi. How's that sound? Because <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much that pretty much answers my next question of that one. Because I was yeah. going to ask you, we always ask every every guest we have on the show who they think is the better player in Ronaldo and Messi, and you pretty much answered that question. Why Messi though? Ah, uh, you know what? I don't know if he's better though. I mean, I was going to. I'll give him credit. He can influence Barcelona, but I, I like both of those guys. They they're both special. I think we're just we're so fortunate to have both of them. Playing at the same time, um, absolutely. It's, absolutely. I think we're all privileged, and I think people should try watch them as much as we can while we can because the, they won't go on forever. Um, and we're we're pretty fortunate to have both of them on the planet, right? And going back to our roots in the South African ABSA Premiership Division, who <laughs> who, who are you a fan of? Obviously, there's the two big sharks, yeah, Kaiser Chiefs and Orlando Pirates. Yeah, talk, talk to me. Talk to me. Oof. Yeah, this is uh, this is a sensitive one because I'm probably gonna this get. Is, yeah, this this uh, this one. This is make or break. Yeah, I'm probably gonna get some slack for no matter who I say in this one back yeah. home. So, <laughs> seeing that I'm a Durban boy, I'm always gonna go with Amazulu. But uh, the table yeah. the table is not helping them right right now. Um, you know what? You can never write off Sundowns, hey? 
Oh my uh, day! Look uh, at this guy. <laughs> you, you can never write them off. So I don't. Yeah. I, I don't want to get any trouble with the Chiefs or the Pirates fans. So I'll, no, I'll pick. Absolutely. I'll pick. Pick Sundowns and I'll slide in between. Diplomacy. Diplomacy. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, I hear you. Well, once again, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today, and it really means a lot for you to join the podcast and myself. And um, we hope to have you soon on 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 the podcast once again. Yeah. Awesome. I loved it, and I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, and uh, good luck this upcoming season with the Springs. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Bye.